Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's Health Department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, Stephanie Desmond talks to William Moss, an epidemiologist and vaccine expert at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. They discuss how soon we may see a coronavirus vaccine, some of the pitfalls in developing one, and why immunization rates around the world for all diseases may be impacted by this pandemic. Let's listen. I'm here today with William Moss, a vaccine expert at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Today, we're gonna talk about one of the most pressing issues in the coronavirus pandemic, and that is when will we get a vaccine? Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Dr. Moss, tell me a little bit about how soon we can get a vaccine to the public. This is a, a critical question, and people have heard different answers to this question. First, I'll say that the development of a coronavirus vaccine is really an essential part of our response to this pandemic. We will not fully control the transmission of this virus until we have a vaccine, a safe and effective vaccine. The timeline is uncertain. We've heard uh, estimates or people have heard estimates of several months. Dr. Anthony Fauci has put out an off-quoted uh, timeline of 12 to 18 months. But to put this in a larger context, usually it takes years, uh, even a decade or more, to develop a vaccine. Now, we want to do this more quickly in a pandemic. But I would say it's probably going to take about two years or more, even with the rapid development that we want to do in the face of this crisis. It's not easy to fast track a vaccine, is it? That's right. What we want is to ensure that we have both a safe and effective vaccine. And the traditional route for developing a vaccine and, make, and ensuring that it's safe and effective is to go through initially animal testing. So we need an animal model, but then go through three different phases where we assess the safety and efficacy of the vaccine in increasingly large populations or trial participants and going from healthy adults to more vulnerable populations. And it's really, uh, it's really our need to assess the safety and efficacy in, in this phased manner that draws out the, the testing of the vaccine. So you say this is a process that can take a decade. Uh, what is it about developing a vaccine that is so complicated? Yeah, so there's the initial kind of development of the vaccine. And I'll say we, we already have at least two vaccine candidates that are in human trials. Um, and so that's remarkably fast. There are more than 50 other vaccines in research and development. We, what we have seen is a remarkable coming together 
of academia, private com biotech companies, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the whole world is working on this problem uh, with many groups trying to develop a vaccine. But some of the things that, that make vaccine development and testing more problematic or more challenging is, you know, one is that we give vaccines to healthy people. And so our threshold to have adverse events is much lower than, say, developing a treatment for severely ill people. In that setting, we're more, we're, we're more likely to take a, a, a risk. But when we're talking about vaccines, and particularly a vaccine that we're going to give to entire populations of healthy individuals, we have to be absolutely certain that we're not doing more harm. I'll point out another factor related to this, this COVID-19 is that a lot of the severe illness is due to an exacerbated or heightened immune response of the individual. And people may have heard about a cytokine storm uh, that, that is really what causes the severe illness. The last thing we want is a vaccine that enhances that immune response and, and perhaps increases the risk of a cytokine storm. And there are examples in the history of vaccine development where the vaccine has induced an altered immune response when someone's exposed to the wild pathogen. And so th it's those kind of issues that we need to be really cautious about in terms of moving too quickly in vaccine development and rollout. So once there's a candidate that is that uh, in trials shows that it's safe and effective. Again, we're not going to have what seven billion doses. So where do you start, and how does this get ramped up? Exactly. So there's the whole manufacturing issue, and how quickly can vaccine manufacturers scale up production? And we're, obviously, we're going to want that to happen as quickly as possible if we have a safe and effective vaccine. A lot of that's going to depend on the nature of the vaccine that kind of moves forward and is prioritized. The World Health Organization has developed a, a number of working groups on this, and one of them is going to focus on how to prioritize all the, these different vaccine candidates. If the vaccine looks like kind of very much like a currently used vaccine where the manufacturing facilities are already in place, that's going to be easier to scale up than a, a completely novel vaccine uh, where we don't have any prior experience. And there the vaccine manufacturing is going to be, you know, obviously take longer to build up. But you raise a very important question about how will we prioritize the use of vaccines. And there's no easy answer to this once a vaccine becomes available. It's actually a multidimensional question. You have geographically, where is the vaccine going to be deployed first in the world? Ideally, you know, that would be in hotspots where, there, where the epidemic is still, uh, is still raging, places where we can expect a large increase in, in, in cases. We're also going to have to think about certain populations. Um, my own view is that healthcare workers would be a top priority vaccine. They're the ones who are really defending us and putting them, themselves and their family uh, at risk. And, and we need to protect our, our healthcare workers. And so I would say they would be a priority. I know that one thing that you and I have actually discussed before is that 
Um, there are communities that don't really uh, want to use vaccines. And so I'm wondering how those folks might enter into the equation here. Yes, this is a fascinating question. And I've heard a number of groups kind of discuss, discuss this. You know, how is the anti-vax movement going to influence or in turn be influenced by this uh, outbreak of COVID-19? What we know is that in a, in a crisis situation, in an outbreak situation, the public demand for vaccine increases. We saw that last year uh, in the United States with the measles outbreaks and, and around the world actually, with, where an increased demand for vaccines was a consequence of the outbreak. I think right now, given the fear uh, around COVID-19, that there's going to be a huge public demand for a vaccine. But that doesn't mean that there's going to be, that there will not be misinformation and disinformation about, about vaccines. And that's one of the concerns about uh, you know, trying to move forward too quickly. And it's a balance because obviously we wanna get a vaccine out early because we're, we're in this uh, escalating number of infections and, and cases. But we also have to be very careful because if a vaccine is deployed widely and there are some adverse events, you know, that can undermine not only the COVID-19 vaccination efforts, that can have broader impact on our whole immunization programs and the demand for vaccines. Do you also perhaps, uh, I know you study vaccines around the world. I assume that this current uh, situation where we're we're all distancing ourselves from others, and we are not necessarily going to the doctor, and that we aren't sending people into communities as health workers. Is this impacting current vaccination around the world? Yes. And this is a very important question. Not only are there issues, questions around a COVID-19 uh, vaccine or a SARS coronavirus 2 vaccine, but how is this outbreak going to impact on current immunization programs? And there's no doubt that it will um, on multiple levels. And this is of great concern to vaccine uh, people in the, in the vaccine community around the world. It's a high priority of the World Health Organization. They have already issued guiding principles on trying to maintain immunization programs throughout this pandemic and getting countries to think about how they're going to scale up activities when this is over. But it will influence uh, the supply chain of vaccines by closing borders and cutting down on international travel. That's going to impact the supply of vaccines in countries. People are going to be, or parents are going to be less reluctant to bring their children to healthcare centers to get immunizations because of concerns of exposure and the lockdowns that are in many countries. Healthcare workers uh, are, are increasingly at, are at risk and increasingly becoming ill, and that can impact the ability to deliver vaccines in communities. So there's no doubt we're going to go through a period where immunization coverage is decreased in many, if not all, countries around the world. And we're going to have to have strategies to try to make up those deficits and get those children vaccinated so we don't have susceptible populations. I'm thinking that's even a case in the United States. Exactly. That's even going to be true in the United States. We're going to have a cohort of children who uh, miss their routine immunizations, and we're going to have to have strategies to go back and make sure they're, they're protected. 
hopefully before we have outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases. I was thinking about uh, vaccination of children. How do you test a vaccine on children? Do you? Yes, no, that's a great question. And and vaccines do need to be uh, tested in children because they're often the target target group uh, for vaccines. I think it's it will be different for the COVID-19 because of the severe disease in, in older adults um, and persons with uh, comorbidities. But the way this traditionally works is that uh, in early phase one studies, these often start in healthy adults and then move down to healthy adolescents. And then if there are no safety signals down into young, uh, younger and younger children, that's how the testing begins. And then the larger studies, phase two or phase three studies, assuming there are no, uh, there are no safety signals of adverse events, then one can move into those studies. Is there any concern that once we are able to ramp up production of a COVID-19 vaccine, are there any concerns that it could push other vaccines out of the pipeline? Yes, uh, this too is a very important question. And so it comes back to our earlier discussion about the manufacturing process. So if it's a really novel vaccine that requires a very different manufacturing process, obviously that's going to delay deployment of a vaccine. Um, but then those newer, newer manufacturing processes will be, need to be developed. If we can use uh, existing manufacturing processes and plants, which would be ideal in terms of getting a vaccine out earlier, yes, that, that can have an impact on, on other vaccines. And we may have to think about which, which vaccines, or we will have to as a society and a public health community, think about which vaccines uh, need to, where we need to maintain uh, production and which vaccines do we have some flexibility in decreasing production. You know, one example might be influenza vaccines, which are very seasonal. We may have a time period during the summer months here in the Northern Hemisphere to use uh, manufacturing plants that are designed for producing influenza vaccines and having them focus on a, on a COVID-19 vaccine uh, with the idea that should this uh, abate a, a bit, we can, we can switch back to influenza vaccines. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. Uh, William Moss, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen-McCusker and Spencer Greer with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.